When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holler at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. What's good, Wild Black family? Listen, I want to talk to you about You Had Me at Black. We've partnered with them before. You're about to hear an episode with them shortly. But I want you to know a little bit more about their podcast and go check it out. You Had Me at Black is a storytelling platform and community for folks looking to connect, heal, and liberate. They pass the mic to everyday people to share their true life stories in their own words. You can connect with them by joining their creative community, participating in their live storytelling events, or listening to the podcast on any podcast platform. Wild Black, make sure you go and check out the podcast, You Had Me at Black. Peace. But the reality is that these disparities have been here since we've been here, over 400 years. We can date back to understanding how particularly uh, Black Americans have been treated within healthcare systems to, you know, the point of segregation, to being experimented on uh, without anesthesia. The, the guy who's known as the, the father of OBGYN actually did uh, surgeries on enslaved women without mm. anesthesia. Oh, I didn't know that. Right. So there's Man. a history Jesus. surrounding our interactions with the healthcare system. And just as society has these ills and injustices, that that is pulled over into the healthcare system. The healthcare system, 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 the healthcare system. Welcome to Wow Black, a seriously opinionated podcast, bringing you the real and raw on anything happening while black. If black culture's there, we're there. If you're pissed or empowered, then let's talk about it. Ride with us on this all black everything. Everybody, welcome back to Wild Black. Welcome back. Welcome back. Listen, we got an important topic today. It is one that, actually, you know, you see it in the news and on TV a good bit. I was just watching, it was For Life. I think, is that ABC? ABC? For Life comes on, the 50 Cent show? It's, a, it's about the brother who was wrongfully accused, in jail for nine years. But You know what, never mind. Oh, yeah, we'll, I've seen a commercial. We'll it's dope. But they just touched on this during an episode. And so it's, it's a passionate place for me because I've seen it impact my family personally, because my wife is in the healthcare district, healthcare industry herself. And so I'm going to start this episode like this. Systematic racism in healthcare is more than simply waiting longer than the non-Black folks around you to be seen by a doctor. It can take many, many forms, and they don't all appear to be race-driven, but often they have a deep connection to the inequities in this country, specifically driven by race, revenue, and economics. At times, it, it looks like just being ignored in the waiting room, being denied access to care. It's the assumption of your ability to self-manage pain. It can be the improper diagnosis that leads to an incorrect treatment that may exacerbate your issue, if not create a new issue altogether. Mm-hmm. It can even be the assumption of coverage benefits or an assumption made to your financial position. Each and every one of the disparities show up under the right circumstances, could be functionally harmless or devastatingly lethal. And that's what makes today's episode so important and so needed. It's because while we spend so much of our time in the street protesting and boycotting, which are all needed, we also need people 
fighting for our voices in arguably one of the most important systems that we engage with. Just take a moment and think to yourself about the many, many, many ways you interact with the healthcare system daily, weekly, monthly. It's you, it's a doctor's appointment, it's a sprained ankle, a broken leg, it's a loved one, it's a cancer treatment, it's a friend in the ER. We touch this industry all day long, and we need it to support us in the right way. But that's why I'm excited to introduce our guest today. Our guest is Brother Dwayne Elliott. He's the CEO and founder of Just Health Collective. He's recognized by his peers and by countless organizations as a trailblazer and change maker. And he's been a leader in the movement around inclusion and belonging in the health space for a minute. He's been able to maneuver around existing systems, extend his influence and reach while boosting your access to high quality care. He's over two decades of experience and degrees. His undergraduate from the University of Indiana and his graduate degree from The Ohio State University. Now, it's obvious that this brother has done a lot, but that's not why he's here. He's here because his passions align with those of the show, and he's dedicated to improving access for black and brown folks everywhere. He's here because of his empathy, his business savvy, and his knack for building trust, enabling him to diagnose the most important cultural blind spots. He fights his battle every day. Historic and systematic injustices are what he eats for breakfast. I want to welcome Brother Dwayne to the show. Brother, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, first, thank you so much for having me on your show. <laughs> uh, I am just happy to be here to uh, continue to you know, share this message, uh, one that is critically important for <clears throat> our community, but any marginalized community, for that matter, that has to interact with the healthcare system. Absolutely. So uh, a, a little bit about my background. I'm from Indianapolis, Indiana, originally. Uh, grew up there and then moved to Columbus when I went to Ohio State University for grad school. Spent most of my career uh, in operations of healthcare. Right. So running faculty practices for academic medical centers. So what actually brought me down here to Atlanta was uh, work with Emory Healthcare. So I was there for about six and a half years. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, from there, I went into management consulting, still working in medical group, health system, change management, anything from strategy and vision down to operations to, to access issues and consulting around there. And at the same time, I was asked to lead inclusion and diversity efforts for our consulting division. Right. Um, and that sort of parlayed into me carving out a role where I intersected both of my interests, which mm-hmm. were healthcare administration, and uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Right. Um, this was probably about mm, five, six, maybe even longer than that years ago. Right. Um, and it's, it was probably the seeds for what is now the Just Health Collective, which right. is uh, my organization uh, that I started. So I've been doing the work for a while, and it had only come to the public's knowledge really through this pandemic and right. understanding disparities with COVID. But the reality is that these disparities have been here since we've been here, over mm-hmm. 400 years. We can date back to understanding how particularly uh, black Americans have been treated within healthcare systems to, you know, the point of segregation, to being experimented on uh, without anesthesia. The first, mm. the, the, first uh, the, the guy who's known as the, the father of OBGYN actually did um, surgeries on enslaved women without mm. anesthesia. Oh, I didn't know that. Right? So there's Damn. a history Jesus. surrounding our interactions with the healthcare system. And just as society has these ills and injustices, that, that is pulled over into the healthcare system. And so now there, there are those of us who are inside of the system working, trying to change it from the inside. Right. Uh, and move it forward. So, you know, I'm in a blessed position to be able to do the work that I'm doing and hopefully having impact. Wow. I had no idea about the experimentation on enslaved women was the foundation of the OBGYN. Yep. Wow. I had no idea. I have to look into that a little bit more. Brother, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> like, I, I wasn't kidding in the introduction when I said this is something that has affected me and my family personally. Yeah. And I think, honestly, that there are a bunch of us who, if we do enough digging and research, you'll find the same thing in your family. 
Oh, yes. Probably much closer to you than you realize because we don't love to talk about our medical issues anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I, so I was in a conversation yesterday interviewing um, a black woman who has uh, polycystic kidney disease. And we were mm. talking about her experience in the healthcare system because um, I'm working with a board that, you know, they're trying to understand health equity and I'm trying to give them the experience of real life people that go through the system. And she talked to, to me and my uh, colleague about um, going through and speaking with a doctor who would talk down to her mm-hmm. and wouldn't take her condition seriously. And so she had to go to another doctor who ultimately diagnosed her with a, you know, a, a sinus issue that was right. related to uh, her condition. And if you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. A lot of us go through this system feeling like we don't have the authority to challenge because we don't have medical knowledge. But in reality, we know ourselves yeah. better than, you know, clinicians mm-hmm. know, know us, right? And it, it should be a partnership, not a hierarchy. Mm. And that's part of what we have to know as we step into these systems. Yeah, yeah. that makes it's sense. funny because, shit, I'm paying you. Like, it, it, it's not the other way around. Yeah. I'm paying you for I think we perspective and advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like you you forget when you, you give them that card right before yes. you come in. Right. Right. Who's you really sign your little charge. name yeah. on it, right? Like, you, you go in the back and you forget, oh, I got to just sit down and just... It's not a card to you, but to them it damn sure is. Yeah. Yes. Yes, <laughs> yes they work for you. They are, they are employed by, by us. Yeah. And the, the system itself has been perverse in terms of its financial incentives. Yeah. So healthcare, you know, we are still in this, what's called a fee-for-service environment. Right. Um, moving towards value-based care. But what fee-for-service <laughs> means is every time that you come into a hospital, a medical group, physician office, they're getting paid for you being ill and mm-hmm. trying to take care of you. Yeah. But the reality is, and the system is starting to change under value-based care, is that they will now have a pot of money that is capped and they have to use that pot of money wisely to create a better experience for you, uh, to create better outcomes and to reduce cost of healthcare. Part of the reason healthcare is out of control is because it's, you know, it's a fee-for-service market. Yeah. So it was incented to do that, right? Yeah. And um, so this move towards value-based population healthcare actually gives way to the ability to talk about health equity in a different way because health equity is about giving people what they need in order to be successful, in order to have optimal health. And so, you know, in this new type of arrangement, which we all should be really, you know, getting behind legislation that moves it in the right direction, talking to our uh, Congress folks and senators because it's important. Like we should, we should have quality outcomes and care. And so, you know, a lot of people don't know about the ins and outs of healthcare like this, but the incentives have been so perverse that it has caused a system that really has failed, particularly marginalized groups. That's mm. deep. Listen, Dwayne, one of the things that we like to do <laughs> at Wild Black before we get into the meat of the conversation is we go through an exercise called Wild Black Shit. And wow, black shit. It, it allows our guests to relax and clearly communicate, which you don't have a problem with. <laughs> but well, all, not clearly communicate. I was getting right into it. <laughs> no, you just, it's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. But it also, it, it really does a lot to connect our guests to our audience. Yeah. And so, if you don't mind, we'll, we'll jump into that real quick. Okay. All right, brother, you ready? Let's do it. Let's do it. Yo, this is the part I've been nervous about. Oh, this is <laughs> it right here? Damn, oh. lose, I might lose my black card. This, this, no. Nah, this, nah. This, you, well, I got a question two. You, you know. Shit, question one. <laughs> and before we get into our wild black shit, allow me to bring you a word from our sponsor, Surfshark. Let's talk about internet security. When you're online, you want to be as safe as possible viewing social media, watching movies, playing games, paying bills, etc. But did you know a lot of the web traffic 
and your physical locations are being tracked and logged as you use your laptop and your cell phones? Yep, everywhere you go and everything you do. So we want to help you better protect yourself. So we've partnered with Surfshark, a highly secure virtual private network that protects your identity, location, and online data. It can be used on almost every device you connect to the internet. And since we love you all so much, you get an 83% discount plus three extra months all for free. Visit the link surfshark.deals slash wildblack. Again, that's surfshark.deals slash wildblack. Now back to our wild black shit. All right, three questions. First two, get you warmed up, of course. And the okay. third one is our signature question. We ask every single guest. Okay. And it's probably one of the most popular sections of, uh, of our episode. Absolutely. Okay. So, first question. You ready to go? All right. Hit us with your top three girl R&B groups. TLC. Okay. Okay. Um, in Vogue. Okay, hold in on. In Vogue. Oh, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the part B to the question, too. You got to sing the hottest <laughs> track from each one of them. <laughs> and I, I'm going to go with Destiny's Child. Destiny's oh, Child. Oh, you, yep. dude, you, you, okay. I like that. He, he tried to hammer home and create that safety net. Yeah. He's bringing in the Destiny's yeah. Child because everybody's scared of the beehive. I got it. I understand. I understand. He, he going to get us some, some kudos on, on social media with that one. Right. <laughs> All right. Second question. This one might be a little bit sensitive, but you know we exist inside a cancel culture. Um, so let's consider this. All things considered. The good, the bad, and the ugly. It's time for black folks to ban ham hock. <laughs> what you think about that? <laughs> well, I am in the health field, sort of, but you know. <laughs> right now, everybody's like, okay, like, can we, can well, we trust not, him? I mean, we still got to have it in greens, right? We have to Absolutely. have him Absolutely. in our greens or a turkey leg or something, right? But yep. no, we can't completely cancel it out. We cannot. No, I, I, that's yeah. something handed down generation to generation. We got to. And one, yeah. one of my homeboys raves about ham hock tacos. <laughs> now, I ain't never had a ham hock taco, but the oh, way he talks about no, it, I ain't gonna lie. eat it like that. I ain't gonna lie. I kind of want one. The way he talks about it, <laughs> I talked to him this morning. He's like, "Man, I got I got ham hocks in the crock pot right now for tacos." This man had made a Mexican soul food, a Mexican soul dish. food fusion. Right, right. <laughs> I've never had a ham hock taco. I, don't, mm. I mean, I'm not above trying it. Yeah, I'm, I, 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 <laughs> I mean. I've eaten a ham hock by its damn self. What's wrong with wrapping it in the tortilla or something? That's that's how I look at it. But do you put like coleslaw on top? Like of what it? what goes on it? Like what would you? Because now you're making it a sandwich. Or, or no, yeah, you have to have something else on top. Correct. Of it. You, you gotta, gotta have sauce and some cabbage or some lettuce. To, I don't care what you put on it. It's a ham hock. <laughs> huh. You don't hold on. You could. You don't put the whole ham hock. Yeah, you gotta cut it okay, up. I just want to make sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, you gotta look, have some of that fat. You know you gotta have some of that fat. <laughs> the whole fucking ham hock is fat. <laughs> it ain't like there's any meat on it, really. Right, the lean part of the ham hock. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think we all failed this question. <laughs> we, we had an opportunity to move the culture forward right. from a health perspective. Yeah. God looked down, okay, each one of them takes five years off their life. <laughs> right. They're eating ham hock tacos. <laughs> have fused ham hocks and... To another dish. Hey, Wild Black, if anybody eats ham hock tacos, let me know. All right. Uh, third, final question, signature question. What do you love most about life, Wild Black? For me, I've always experienced it as a uniqueness because I have been in these environments surrounded by white folks, whether yeah. that was in school, whether it was at the first job. Or, but I learned to love who I was in the context of that. And that power, when you learn to love who you are, just you, you can overcome any type of obstacle that yeah. way. And so, you know, it, I love everything about being black. I do. Yeah. I wouldn't change it for the world. Yeah. It mm -hmm. says something when you deal with everything we deal with as mm -hmm. black folks and you still make the conscious decision, if given the opportunity, to stay black. They're strengthened. Yeah. They're strength, strength and power, and power yep. resiliency. We're changing it all. Yeah. 
But nothing else even look right for me. Yeah. Wouldn't change it up. Ain't that something? I mean, I'm just kind of reflecting on that. If, yeah. if God came down and was like, son, you can be any race you want to be. You're like, I still want to be black. The only time <laughs> I might change. consider difference is if Bill Gates was a race. I might go lie. <laughs> I might leave y'all behind if I could be Bill Gates. Can you lie. imagine how? Uh, but Bill I don't or know, Jeff? Bill Jeff ain't Bezos. got no. Pick one. <laughs> right. Oh no. I think I think they got far more drama in their life than we imagine. But an, uh, I mean, they're both divorced now. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Correct. That's another thing too. They they out the game. They are not. I, I've come back as Bill Gates and created a system to make me black and make y'all forget that I was and, and, and make y'all forget that I was ever white. You have a whole black suit. Like I can be black or white when I want to. Right. That's crazy. So the the next section is our dope quote. And that is typically from the mouth of someone black today. It, it is, it pertains to the episode, the theme. It comes from science, philosophy, religion, history, some aspect of, of black life. Um, and I want to read today's and then get your thoughts on mm-hmm. the quote. Today's quote says, of all the forms of inequality, injustice in health is the most shocking and inhumane. I'll read it one more time. Of all the forms of inequality, injustice in health is the most shocking and inhumane by Martin Luther King Jr. When you hear that, what do you think? I feel it as real. I see it as real. Um, in fact, that quote sits on... Uh, the background of my Twitter account. Oh, does it? Yeah, because it it just reminds me of why I do this this work. Yeah. Um, hmm. So just you know, understanding it from the inside, right? And and um, you know, seeing it on the faces of patients that I once did when I was uh, you know running operations right. is is real. Yeah. When I hear it, I'm drawn to two words: the words shocking and inhumane. When I found this quote, I actually spent time thinking about it and trying to understand in my head, why did he say this? You know, why was it that inequality and injustice and health of all things was was shocking and inhumane? Because we see it in real estate and we see it in business, we see it Mm -hmm. in finance, money, every, every aspect of American life, you can find these inequalities, right? And so, what it broke down to me, what I took from the word shocking and inhumane is that maybe Martin Luther King Jr. and definitely myself feel that as bad as people can be, right, as horrible as we can treat each other and be treated by each other, at our core, there ought to be a spot of good that responds to someone in a, in a life or death situation, someone in extreme need. And, and the fact that even in that situation, we don't register as human enough mm-hmm. to be treated equally. It does feel shocking. It absolutely feels humane. Like you would expect that even if there's a, a, a doctor or a, a finance manager or a, a policymaker that uses the word nigger every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday morning, can't stand black folks, you want to believe that someplace inside of him when he's making his decisions or her decisions there's enough respect for the human form to treat someone who needs help kindly, but sometimes it just isn't. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, I think that's where the, the shocking and humane came from. Yeah. Art, bro, you got any thoughts on that before we move on, man? Yeah, I, I got a lot. I, th- I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think MLK was spot on. I think these people ain't shit. <laughs> yeah, like, like literally, like the ingrained systemic nature of what oppression looks like in America for African Americans and Anyone who is 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 not white, right, right, is very clear. And when when you say systemic, if you think about systems, yep, every system is going to exhibit that. No matter if it's healthcare. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, at, at some given point in history, the thought process is that we were not human yeah. as mm-hmm. African Americans. So that thought process is embedded into almost every system yeah. in America. Yep. And so, and everyone who interacts with those systems learns from them. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the, I think the shocking thing is this realization that the system is truly designed in every aspect and every form. Yeah, that is embedded. And if you think at the level of humaneness, mm-hmm. it's very clear. 
yeah. even today it's very clear. And I think that 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 is shocking because it it probably hurts more to think today we're in the same situation. Um, it may be on the surface better. We've changed some surface behavior, but mm-hmm. I don't I don't know how how significant of a job Mm-mm. we've done changing the hearts of man. Yeah, yes. it, I think it absolutely yes. has to be dismantled. In yeah. my my opinion, it 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 can't be reformed. It it has to be dismantled because the root the the core of it is. Systemic race, race is, is mm-hmm. oppression. Like there's there's no other way around it. Yeah. And if MLK is seeing it as shocking then, yeah, right, and it's still shocking today, right. Oh yeah, yeah. it's gonna be shocking tomorrow yeah. until we do something dramatically different. Yeah, right. Yeah. The reality is, when we're at our most vulnerable, you hope that people come to yes. your aid to Correct. rescue. Correct. Um, but some people don't have the capacity to do that for you know, however they've been raised and whatever their thoughts are. Other people operate in a system ignorant to the fact that this system is oppressive and harms folks. Yeah. So, yeah, it it is the most inhumane because if we don't have our health, what really do we have? Nothing else matters. Yeah. Nothing else matters. Yeah. Hmm. So, I want to, one, it's great that we are talking about the, the systematic elements of racism and oppression in the the healthcare industry, because it kind of leads to this very first question. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What do health disparities in healthcare look like? And I say that because I think so many of us react to the stories we see on the news, social media, Twitter specifically, about these interactions between patient and doctor, mm-hmm. right? But I assume it's got to be much bigger than that, right? It's got to be patients who feel it, administrators who, who deal it. It's got to be doctors, black doctors who, who manage through this. So help us understand, paint a picture of what health disparities in healthcare truly look like. What does racism look like in this world? So inside of healthcare, I mean, the interactions that happen, they can lead to unconscious bias, coming up and presenting itself Mm -hmm. in terms of a patient and provider interaction, uh, in terms of, you know, someone assuming that you can't afford a certain treatment Mm -hmm. or, um, and I've seen this firsthand, a black person walks in the door, the doctor automatically assumes they're looking for drugs because they're in pain, right? Right. Not thinking that, no, I'm really in pain and I need your help. I'm not here drug seeking, but... I had physicians that I worked with that automatically assumed that these were drug-seeking patients. And I always knew it was going to be a black person that they were talking about, which just hurt me to my core, right? So it, it, it looks like a lot of different things to answer your question. But when you're talking about a health disparity, you're talking about a difference in an outcome um, of care, right? And that difference is something that could be remedied, but isn't, right? right? We could be, you know, paying attention to what a a diabetic needs and how they're interacting with the system, what social determinants of health exist. And if I need to define any of these terms, just let me know because I can can kind of break that down too. But when these differences happen and they're avoidable and we don't do anything about it, that's a disparity. Right. So inside of the healthcare system, quite frankly, there are all types of disparities across a lot of conditions. Why? Because the social determinants of health, which are the places that we live, work, grow, play, um, that impact our lives when we're outside of that healthcare organization, they predispose us to uh, being in a situation where a disparity can occur. What I mean by that is... If I don't have money to put food on my table, then I sure don't have the money to go get this prescription drug that you just prescribed that's $200 out of pocket, right? If I'm going to pick between feeding my children and getting that drug, I'm probably going to feed my children. If I live in an area of town that you know, is, is near some factory that is giving off all types of harmful emissions and gases, 
well, that might affect my child's potential to have asthma. And so a lot of communities of color live in zip codes that have high social determinants of health. And that goes back to systemic racism and redlining, right? So these neighborhoods that we were confined to didn't get investment. Um, you know, they, they didn't Access. invest in like uh, healthy food options, right. grocery stores, things mm-hmm. like that, right? That the tax base wasn't there. And so now we've created these zip codes where literally you can live in one zip code in Buckhead and another zip code in Bankhead and your life expectancy can be up to 20 years less in some places, right? Mm. And that is what health inequity is about. A health care disparity is when you are interacting with the care delivery system. Mm. And again, it's, it's avoidable, but they haven't done anything to remedy it. And the, the first thing that they're supposed to do or should be doing, and not all hospitals are doing this, most of them are doing it now, but collecting race, ethnicity, and language data, right? They have to have that baseline of data in order to actually tell you if a disparity in a clinical condition exists. Right. And for a very long time, they hadn't been collecting that type of information, right? So there, there were no data points. To no data anything. points. Yeah. So <laughs> w- we can see it in public health data pretty easily because yeah. we see the outcome data. But we need it in the care data so that we can stop and intervene earlier in the yeah. process to prevent disparities from happening. So when you've got the, the data, right, mm-hmm. when that input data is there, what is the process for removing the disparity once it's identified? Uh, it, it, it depends on from where it is originating. But mm-hmm. let's take, for instance, diabetes. So um, black men have higher rate of diabetes and likely more complications than white men. In order to solve for that, you, you, the healthcare system, the provider, may need to understand the social needs that that person is showing up to your healthcare organization with. Again, I can't afford food. I'm homeless. um, I don't have a job. Whatever that need is, if that, if we don't try to take care of that root cause, then it's going to exacerbate your clinical condition, right? And so what is happening now in the healthcare system is that hospitals are starting to partner with community-based organizations, with other corporate organizations, um, with government entities to think about how do we solve this social determinants of health picture so right. that we can move upstream and impact some of these um, some of these downstream uh, outcomes. So there are processes that are in place. And within, if you've discovered a disparity within um, a clinical population, you need to look at the process flow that is happening and understand where the root cause of that disparity could be. Mm -hmm. It could be in the collection of, of the information. Right. It could be in unconscious bias or blatant racism showing up. You, right. you don't know for sure, but you've got to pick apart the entire process and then rebuild it such that it, it eliminates disparities. I'll give you one more example. Yep. Um, if I'm a person with limited English proficiency, uh, English is not my first language, I'm coming into the healthcare system, um, the first thing that you know, I'm trying to understand is how to register yet there's nothing in Spanish for me to uh, even look at. And the right. person at the front desk may or may not speak Spanish, right? right. If they don't have the appropriate type of resources uh, in terms of, of translated information and interpretive services, well, they're going to have a hard time. Under- I mean, we have a hard time understanding the healthcare system. So can right. you imagine right. someone speaking a different language and trying to come in and navigate our healthcare system? Right. It's just, it's it's... Set up for failure. Yeah. Yeah. When you say healthcare system, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can think nationally, you can think um, statewide, you can think, you know, regionally, you can think local. Yeah. Um, In the context of that, 
what if what if a healthcare system um, says that you know we don't think that's our role to 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 have that level of interaction mm. and engagement at a community level, right? Like, good question. Like, how does that play out? Um, it's it's not a what if. There are some systems out there who feel that way. In fact, most most systems still aren't at a place of understanding it. And when I think about the healthcare system, I tend to think about the provider side. So I'm thinking about the Emory's, the Piedmont's, the you know, local healthcare systems, right? Um, some of them are further along than others. But here is the reason we have to go back to the financial incentives. If you're under value-based care, where you have to get to a certain outcome based off of a pot of dollars that you have to spend, you have to be efficient, you have to be effective with those dollars. In that type of environment, well, you better them be sure that you're figuring out how to move upstream to prevent them from coming into the system and, you know, admitting to the emergency room or an inpatient because that is costly. That mm. is where most of the cost of the system come in. And so if you're really going to move upstream and prevent illness and, and improve health, you've got to get outside the walls of the hospital. Administrators, people who run these health systems, are slowly coming to an understanding of that. But they are only recently, in the last year, really paying attention to the element of health equity and health disparities. The statistic that I often give out is $57.5 billion annually that are lost in this country due to health care disparities. Just think if we could What's recoup- that number again? $57.5 billion. It has been Jesus. studied uh, over and over, showing the cost of these disparities. But the folks who are at the top of these organizations, they can be well-intentioned white folks. But that doesn't mean that they have even been trained to understand the impact of disparities and costs related to health inequity. They haven't been. Right. For our listeners, can, can you break down, and you don't, you don't have to go in, in, in any real detail, how health disparities equate to, what did you say, 50.7 billion? 57.5 billion. I, I told yeah. that number all So it is, it, <laughs> it is the direct cost. So um, if we were able to close a disparity and say, I don't want to keep using diabetes, so I'm going to think of another condition, um, uh, cardiac cost. heart failure, heart okay. failure. So that's a pretty expensive thing. Like once Mm -hmm. you start going through and you have to go in the hospital and then you've got to have open heart surgery and balloon surgery and this, that, and the other. Very, very expensive, right? Mm -hmm. But if you were able to get ahead of that and and prevent that earlier on by focusing on diet, by focusing on giving people, you know, the right uh, resources they need to get healthy food options. Right. Um, those are the types of interventions that can help you um, ward off some of the disparities and inequity that occurs. And that's where that humongous number comes from. Yeah. So it, it, it is Ow. when these avoidable costs are right. there, when you take all those together and you figure out what has actually been spent, $57.5 billion was what one study. Wow. All right. Two questions that I want mm. to kind of transition and, and talk more about uh, Just Health Collective. But the two questions I have are, staying in that financial realm, that $57.5 billion is just a crazy huge number. Let's say, starting tomorrow, everyone starts taking care of themselves, right? <laughs> like, we know because I'm probably going to right? get a Twinkie <laughs> in the rainbows <laughs> and <laughs> butterflies. For, for the sake of this example, everyone starts taking care of themselves. Mm-hmm. Everyone's exercising. Everyone's eating right. No one's drinking. No one's smoking. None of that's happening. Mm-hmm. Shit, McDonald's closed down. <laughs> Burger King out of business. <laughs> and so all of a sudden, that almost $60 billion number, that reality hits and it's no longer being spent. Where does that money go then? Well, first of all, even if we changed our individual behavior, mm-hmm. because the system is what the system is, it mm. is it is oppressive. It is yeah. it racism exists within it, unconscious bias exists within it. We're still going to have these disparities, right? Of course, because it, it 
often what we had been told as African-Americans is, well, you just, you eat too many salty foods or you don't exercise or you don't. The blame was being put on us. But when in fact the system itself was failing us, right? right? So mm. if we that's were- That's a great point. Yeah, yeah I, that's, I mean- That's a great point. That is one of the things that- We could change our behavior. We still exist inside oh, yes. of this construct that's been built. So That's the right. discussion would be different with a with a doctor, right? Like you you sitting down with him and you're a white person versus a black person. Oh yeah, you just need to stop eating so much salt. That's it. Well, yeah. doctor, you need to change the tax structure so that in my neighborhood we have better healthy food options and the school yes. choices at lunch are are, are different. Right. That, right. That's part of what these systemic changes yeah. are about. Yeah. That's then, why policy becomes really important. Yeah. yeah. And I can see, you know, that that same scenario where the discussion with the white person is, hey. We can get you a dietitian. I'm gonna map out what you need to eat. Uh-huh. I can, mm-hmm. I can absolutely. And with see us, that. what they are doing? Giving us a oh, recipe shit, for ham tacos. Yeah. yeah. Is your is your <laughs> you brought up the ham tacos? <laughs> oh, I was looking. I, I saw this uh, ham hock taco <laughs> recipe trending on Instagram. Why don't right. I slide that to you, sir? Matter of fact, don't worry about a dietitian. Let me give you this. Do three of those a day. <laughs> Okay, my last question in in that vein before we move on to more about what you've done and why you've done it is, this is going to be kind of a convoluted question because it's, I'm going to ask two sides, but they are truly the same. But for the sake of this question, I will separate them. What is the bigger problem inside of the healthcare industry? Is it the bias and racism that lives there? Or is it the profit-driven capitalistic nature? And, and, and And I say that fully understanding that Capitalism in itself is derived from the triangular slave trade that led mm-hmm. to, to all this. So technically, they're the same thing. Yes. But for the purposes of this question, where does the bigger problem lie? Well, first of all, I do like to think that... Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. People who are in healthcare are there with intention and they want to do the right thing. Um, I I think by and large, that is the truth. But again, we're not devoid of being a part of a system that is racist in and of itself. Therefore, you know, that plays out with people. And the incentive structure that pushed, yeah, I got it. Yeah. But when the financial incentives are set up the way that they are, a rational business person will make rational business decisions. And I'll give you an example, and I'll name no names. We understand. <laughs> of, a, of a place, we want a healthcare no system that I know of, um, that determined that they wanted to have Medicaid days uh, in a given month. And they limited those Medicaid days to certain days of the month, right? Which restricts access and potentially harms people. What, the, what do you mean by we say a Medicaid, Medicaid day? Because I, I, like, I, I think I understand because we talked yes, about this, but yes, I want to yes, make sir. sure our listeners are okay. clear in what a Medicaid that day That sound like... <laughs> that don't even sound good. That sound I, like I know, this is some fuckery crazy. right here. That's exactly what I thought when, <laughs> when I heard a it. Medicaid day. So there are different types of payers or insurers mm-hmm. in healthcare. Um, if you have insurance through your company, your work, that's considered commercial insurance. There is Medicaid and there's Medicare, which are federal and state insurance programs, right? Right. Where Medicaid is essentially for low-income poor. Medicare is for 65 and over and those with disabilities. So Medicare and Medicaid do not pay as well as commercial insurance Mm -hmm. plans. And so what has always been this perverse... similar services are discounted under Medicare and Medicaid. That's right, because the government has negotiated to pay lower fees, reimbursements, for care in organizations, right? And they, they set these rates across the board. So any hospital for a certain condition, this is what they're going to pay, and that's it. So from a hospital financial standpoint, less margin... Correct. These patients. Okay. Well, unless you got volume. Yeah, I mean, e- even with volume, it's still less margin. It's just more volume to go along with. It. Yeah. 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 
So like Walmart. <laughs> right, yeah, it, right, right. I it's, mean, it's a it, financial model. Yeah, it, it's it's Grady's situation, right? right. Grady is uh, the the community uh, safety net hospital. They predominantly see Medicaid patients. Now they have other subsidies that help them, but for another healthcare organization, by virtue of being a part of or being paid by Medicare and Medicaid, you actually are supposed to subscribed by certain rules and regulations, mm-hmm. right? And so this hospital system was really towing the line. And what these Medicaid days were, were again, they said, okay, we're going to pick the first and third Friday and the second Wednesday of each month. And those are going to be the days that we only schedule Medicaid patients because we're going to re- reserve all these other days for our Commercial payers, yeah. which are you know our pedi- premium payers. Yes, yeah. they they pay higher yeah. on the dollar, yeah. right? But the reality is that incentive it, it it might make sense for from a business perspective, like it's rational, but it's immoral, quite frankly. It's up. And it can it it can lead to people not getting the type of care that they need, mm-hmm. so they're you know, delayed in getting in and all of a sudden now they're admitted to the emergency yeah. room. So did it mean on on non-Medicaid days they didn't schedule those patients at all or they, they tried to lean towards scheduling full margin patients? They, so you could get in where you fit in until Super Soul Sunday came around. Yeah. Like unless there oh, was yeah. probably an intervention by a clinician that said, hey, this patient has to get in huh. by a certain time then they were going to put you in the Medicaid day if you were Damn. a person with Medicaid. See, that's so now you, you just got to deal with whatever your issues are six days longer, four days yeah. longer, yes. seven days yes. longer, until, until your day comes around. Yeah, and it, even I'll say the Mayo Damn. Clinic, their CEO, who I don't think is there anymore, actually, um, he suggested that they do something like that. Damn. Uh, because rational business decision, but like it's immoral... Like, like, yeah. it's it not really taking care of people, right? It's it's taking care of the business. You can wrap it in. We've got this special day just for people like you. Just for you niggas. That- <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like that's what that, I mean, that's, that's essentially yeah. horrible, essentially, right? Essentially, that's, that's like, and this is. is why, I mean, that that, oh. that one that one program is one of the reasons that I don't Did think. Did they have rib tips in the cafeteria on that day? Probably. And ham hock tacos. That's probably where you got it from. <laughs> Man, that's that's why I don't think it should be a for-profit entity. Yeah. You well, can't incentivize it that way. Like, cause then that rationally, as a, like you like you said, as from a business standpoint, yeah, I only I really sense. only need to do two of those days so you the whole profits. month. Cause mm-hmm. I ain't maximizing mm-hmm. profits. I'm actually not doing justice to my shareholders by yeah. even having these two days. Honestly, I shouldn't even be doing shit with Medicare and Medicaid. Mm-hmm. But they do because there's such volume with Medicare in particular. Mm-hmm. So you have volume. Right. You have so, volume. So you have older people who... overall, but lower margin per patient. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it still works yeah. out, but... And, yeah. and, and older adults are a, a bigger populace that, you know, votes and has a voice, so they can use mm-hmm. that. So uh, there's all types of these perverse incentives that there's have some, existed so in healthcare. dynamics built yeah. into that. Yeah. Man, it's it's crazy. pretty amazing. All right, we, I want to I kind of switch over a little bit. It's obvious you are informed, obvious you are passionate <laughs> about this. So let, let's talk about the combination of those two and, and what led you to what you're doing with Just Health Collective. So tell the people a little bit more, two things, what Just Health Collective is and does, mm-hmm. and then what happened that told you, I'm going to go start this. So Just Health Collective is a consulting and advisory services uh, firm that focuses on helping health and healthcare organizations accelerate their journey in health equity and belonging. Right. And that feels very theoretical. I, I know this. But you get into some very practical things that organizations can be doing to improve mm-hmm. their situation, like collecting the right type of data, mm-hmm. putting their staff and physicians through unconscious bias training, mm-hmm. or teaching them what anti-racism is uh, in, the con- in the historical context of racism in healthcare, right? right? right. 
Um, so there, there are practical things that you can do. And so we set out um, to really partner with organizations to say, okay, look, you're part of a larger system here that is broken. Right. And if you really are uh, truly engaged and uh, engaged in wanting to take care of the community, as your mission says, then you ought to be trying to deconstruct and reconstruct a system that works better for everyone. Because the right. reality is the demographics of this country uh, will reach majority minority by like 2060, right? Right. And, and some we, cities already reflected in that. Yes, absolutely. When you and tell so, them that they ain't throw the desk over, like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you'd be amazed at how ill-informed people are about, you know, the changes that are happening and why we must really transform this or we're going to run into even more major. It is, it's going to become that much more expensive. So gonna, when you're comfortable in the status quo, there's no reason for you to pay yes. attention to what's changing around you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there have been folks who work in this health equity space who've been ringing the alarm for a long time saying, hey, this isn't right. This is causing problems, billions of dollars. And actually, another statistic I'll throw out, 83,000 black and brown lives lost annually to health disparities. Damn. 83,000. 83,000. Yeah. That's Look crazy. at COVID. Oh, Look yeah. at COVID. I just Absolutely. looked at some statistics today. Um, it, it is impacting um, Latino, Latinx, and uh, Black Americans mm. predominantly. Mm-hmm. Um, much higher than our actual percentage of the U.S. population. Yeah. So let me get back to, so, so we help these healthcare right. organizations. <laughs> <laughs> now, I can go off on tangents, which... I grew up inside of the inner workings of hospitals and healthcare systems. You know, I've worked at some of the largest and most reputable in the country. And then I was in management consulting, going to even more and seeing these systems that were just broken and thinking about my family Mm -hmm. and my friends that are part of all different types of groups, LGBTQ, Black, Latinx, what have you, and understanding that the experience for us is not the same as the majority. Right. right? And there's no good reason for that. And so I felt like as an African-American working inside of these systems, it's my responsibility, my, my obligation um, to try and, and, and leave the system better than I found it. Absolutely. Right? And so that led me to where I am today, to start my own company to do it. I'm glad you did it. Um, yeah. Question. Short-term and long-term goals. What does success for you inside of Just Health Collective look like in the next 18 to 24 months? And then what's your 10-year goal? Or 20-year goal or, or 30, whatever that number is for you when you feel like, I came, I saw, I created impact and legacy. Mm-hmm. You know, it is, it is a two-sided coin for me. So there is the, I, I want to build a business. I want to build generational wealth I, because now we, we are starting to understand it more yeah. in our community. Yep. And for real. And, and we have an opportunity. Right, like the state at which we're in right now has really opened up a wealth of opportunity for us to do our own thing, to to make our own stories, to build our own businesses. I want that. But on the other side of that, I'm a social entrepreneur. I want to do good in the world. So however many people and usually leaders of organizations that I I can touch through this company to help the light bulb go on and to help them, you know, connect the dots between what they do day to day and how that ultimately impacts the care and quality and experience of people. Mm -hmm. That's what I want to do. And right now, you know, we're small and we're limited by um, the, the resources that we have. We only have so much time. But if I can figure out how to scale um, through technology, what, what have you, that's what I want to be able to do because I want to be able to make as big of an impact in this industry as I can. 
When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holler at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. That makes sense. All right, I got, I got one more question, brother. You got anything before I ask it? Um, I had a question on universal health care. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts on that? Um, and do you think that would create more equity across healthcare systems? I absolutely believe in everyone's right to healthcare. I think healthcare is a right. Figuring out how to make a universal healthcare system work so it doesn't become a bureaucratic nightmare, I think is what I'd be most concerned about. Maybe it is that, you know, the, the, the private industry works on behalf of the government so that there are some efficiencies and operational um, performance things that we make sure we pay attention to. Because um, I don't know if the government can do it well. I, I just, I, I'm not convinced of that. Nor am I convinced that, you know, the private market can do it well. But what I believe is that we all have to have health insurance. We must be covered because that is the, the only way that we really have that primary point of access. And even with health insurance, we still are going bankrupt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that, that's like right. foundational, right? Everyone should have that. Everyone should have the opportunity to get the, the care that they need. But when we talk about a universal system, part of it is not just healthcare, but outside of healthcare, how do we create the policies that are going to improve our neighborhoods and improve the social determinants of health that are there? So, how do we create a system that is focused on prevention and primary intervention mm-hmm. um, so that? You know, we're not waiting till a person is on their deathbed and then trying to do all this life-saving stuff that costs millions and millions of dollars. When if we'd have just yeah. worked upstream, yeah. we probably wouldn't be where we are. Now, everybody's going to die. We, we understand this, but... Not me. You hear it. Eating those ham hock tacos. <laughs> That's five less years of your life, right? Every bite. Every... <laughs> but we have an opportunity to uh, help people reach a, a more optimal state of health earlier on in their life yeah. so that maybe our lives are extended yeah. um, and we don't have the suffering that we have. Yeah. Talking about universal health care. If the COVID vaccine rollout was a test to that, we might be in trouble. We <laughs> exactly. might be in trouble. Yeah. But that's, that's, you know, it was, a, it was a sole source that you could point to that was responsible for that mm. debacle. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, right. Individual leadership is important. Didn't um, we see that, though? Oh, it, was, <laughs> man, it was clear. It was, it was, like, this, some of this stuff ain't hard. Oh. I mean, now, this is the thing, though. So, the COVID vaccine, Right in the African American community in trust, mm-hmm. it, it seems like there is this wide gap of trust individuals. Is so broken, yeah. How could it not be? Right. Think about the things think that you, we think our how you system open has the episode, done. Yeah. Right, like yeah. Yeah. OBGYN uh, and enslaved women. Like, how, yeah. how can we trust? Well, and and uh, another fact for you: healthcare for Black people in this country during enslavement was for the benefit of white masters so that they could get more work out of yeah. them. It yeah. wasn't to take care of us. It right? wasn't even healthcare. It was maintenance at that yeah. point. Yes. It, it, it's we like were exactly. the oil on your exactly. truck. Exactly. It yeah. was exactly. machinery, right. So, so the system, much like the policing system, was, yeah. was built to, to actually harm us in ways. Yeah. You know? yeah. So I, I understand hesitancy, um, and, you know, there's at least a couple people in my family who's, who've said, I'm not getting it right now. Now, maybe I'll wait. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. It is. Because what I'll say is that getting COVID on the other side is going to be worse than getting the vaccine. Yes. But I don't 
preach to anybody what they need to do. I, what I feel for our community is we need to be educated about this and we need to be educated from people who look like us, right? Because there's, there's an, an innate trust that is there, but then ultimately you've got to make the decision that is right for you. Yeah. What I will say as someone who understands public health is we're all in this together. Yeah. So if we can't get, you know, uh, most of the population vaccinated, then it's going to still be lingering around and, and transforming yep. into different strains that, yep. you know, could come back to bite those of us who have been vaccinated. Right. Now, do you think that, that like, what you, what you mentioned around um, education? Because I always hear people say, I'm going to do what's best for me. Well, in reality, you fucking don't know what's best for you. Like, you, you really don't. Like, you're not educated. Mm-hmm. You're not knowledgeable enough to really know what health decisions are best for you. So the decision that you are making, unfortunately, is not the right decision for you. They're acting on preference and, it, and, correct. and not what's really right. Correct. Yeah. And now, do you think the healthcare system has an obligation to actually inject themselves into helping people understand what they actually need or what's best for them? Uh, yes, I believe the public health system for sure. And we have clearly seen that our public health infrastructure had just been gutted, right? Yep. And so we didn't have the things in place that we needed to be able to respond to a pandemic uh, in the way that we should have. I also believe that healthcare organizations, the provider side, yeah, absolutely. They need to be trying to educate as much as possible. If that means, you know, putting on a webinar or whatever it is to try and get the word out, sending out communications via email, via letter, whatever it is. Yeah, you've got, we've got to educate people so that they can understand and make an informed decision, right? And, you know, what I'm also hearing, I forgot where it was more recently, but some companies are saying, yeah, you know, if you're going to come back to work yet, you have to be vaccinated, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. in some ways, there are going to be less and less options to not be vaccinated. So, you know, I, I, one, I'll say, please don't watch these videos and memes going around about this. Please that, that is not news. That is not credible. Go to the CDC website. Go to... Hell, go to a website that is outside the United States and learn about COVID if you don't trust our, our government entities here. Okay, DMA right? did not die from the COVID vaccine. I heard that several times. Yeah. yeah. All right, last question. Of all that you deal with and manage at Just Health Collective, all the organizations you work with and partner with, and when you think through your history in general in this space, what is the health disparity that it's under your skin the most and the one you feel the most positive that we can correct? Yeah, HIV in the African-American male population in particular. Right. This, in Atlanta, mm-hmm. this is so real. And it doesn't make sense because there are drugs to prevent yeah. uh, this from happening. And there's you know, the ability to test and help people understand. And I don't know if it's people who are just scared to get tested. They don't have access. I, I don't know what it is. But I will tell you that it is a particular problem of the South. Mm. You know, mm. other, other cities seem to do better. And this, this is kind of on a larger scale of healthcare right. and the South. But the disparities there don't have to be. Yeah. They just don't have to be because there are medications now that can prevent these things from happening. So yeah. it it pains me that you know we can sit, we still have the highest rates of um, infection of HIV in the African American male population, which then can also spread to the African American female population. So that that is painful. And we did a show on that, mm-hmm. man. It's it yeah. was year it was season one, maybe. Uh, and we found early. out that there were so many people who are just so ill-informed on where HIV treatment is today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually, I'm going to put a plug in for an organization called Someone Cares. Mm-hmm. Um, it is for the LGBTQ plus community. I mean, if you're not part of that community, you still can go there. But it, right. it is essentially funded by Ryan White 
federal dollars. Right. And so you can go there and get medications for free and get tested for free. HIV? Yes. Yes. I sit on the board Hmm. of that organization, and it is really a great community resource. Um, I think there are two locations uh, in Atlanta here, but it's called Someone Cares. Connectness. Hmm. I mean, I I think, again, we haven't talked about that since season one. It'd be great to come back and have an in-depth conversation with someone, you know, experienced in that area. I love it. Absolutely. Cool. Brother, you got anything else? I mean, in closing, I definitely want to appreciate you for what you are doing in the space. Because it's very few of us that actually are making, yeah, an impact in this space. Um, And it's so important. Keep going. Yeah. So important. Well. I appreciate it. I appreciate you all uh, making a home for me here with with you all this evening. And it's been great just conversating and talking about, you know, the things that I know that I want our people to know. Yeah. Uh, so that that when you're interacting with the system, you've got to look out for yourself. Bring your advocates, your family members, your friends, your cousin, whatever. Amen. Have somebody else working with you through the system to understand things about it. Ask all the questions you need to. Don't be afraid to get second opinions. If you feel like you're being talked down to or, or you know, there's racism that is coming from, talk to somebody there at the clinic, the management, the leadership, whatever. Talk to them. So don't, don't throat punch anybody. Don't. don't no. Okay. No, we don't want none of that, but... <laughs> Yeah, don't go violent. I did have a patient that, you know. This is one of the main stories I could tell you. (laughs) I believe it. I believe it. Well, Dwayne, what what I'd love for you to do is we always close out the show with with our guest. If you've got a message that you want to share with our our listenership, our our audience, our wild black family, um, please do so. Please, please, please provide any way they can keep up or follow you or Just Health Collective or support you. Any information in and around there that you can share, please do. Well, first of all, just again, understand that your health, our health is about us being informed and participating in the process. Um, I'm pushing organizations to bring those with the lived experience into the table to allow them to give their insights and to, to help to make decisions about what is happening in our communities. For the first time, there's this window of opportunity for us to be able to really change systems, not just in healthcare, but, you know, uh, uh, across the country in a lot of different industries. But health is critically important, right? So be active and involved uh, in this process of of changing health disparities in in this country. Um, The Just Health Collective, our website address is justhealthcollective.com. Um, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram. Um, Is it Just Health Collective at all those places? Yeah, Just Health Collective at all those places. So, um, yeah, it, we'd love for you to follow up, be a part of our newsletter. Uh, we actually have a digital engagement community called the Just Health Collective Village, and it's really set up for you know, uh, folks who are working in the industry um, or even folks who are you know, patients to come in and learn about some of these things so you become more educated right. uh, in health equity, in diversity, equity, and inclusion, what that means in the context of healthcare. So, um, yeah, you can find all of, all of that information at our website, justhealthcollective.com. I love it. I love it. I love it. Wild Black, I hope you're paying attention to this. If not, go back and listen again. Peace. We out. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois.